pop, I have the black lung. <laughs> <laughs> So, Luke, how's it going? Good, man. I'm doing very well. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing really well. Really well. Really yeah. well. I got a, a pretty sweet castle being built in Minecraft. Is mine, does Minecraft cost money? Yes. I will not be buying it then. <laughs> well, if you're going to buy something, it costs money. So... Uh, <laughs> $300 later. No, I have the Xbox version, which is... Um, uh yeah it's just the xbox version so it's um i play it on my console and i build uh caverns inside hills and then build a castle i have it on creative mode and peaceful so none of the scary things eat me was that the xbox that we got you for your wedding uh yes it was do you ever i am the worst when it comes to giving wedding gifts I'm the worst at two things that that involve weddings that after having my own and let's be honest I have known this my entire adult life that you should not be the worst at when it comes to weddings one RSVPing two gifts yeah RSVPing is pretty brutal I RSVPed yeah. to a buddy's wedding and then didn't show up for it because my whole family kind of imploded so, so I feel terrible I just would never respond yeah me either I, They'd be like, oh, yeah, 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 I'm there. Oh, wait, nope, nope, never mind. Yeah. Sorry for all the adjustments that you had to make. <laughs> yeah, the no. thing is, I'm irresponsible. Oh, so what do you want to talk about today? Um, I've got some stuff. Do you have some stuff? i got some stuff. I think you should go with your stuff first, and then I'll go with my stuff second. So I think we're, we're at a really interesting point. This is going to be episode 31, I think, because the Shane Claiborne episode, which you've all heard, and it was amazing, right? Uh, it's episode 30. Have you listened to that one yet? Uh, I've listened to most of it. I haven't edited what, it yet. What do you think? I think it was great. You did? I was really nervous. I, um, uh, you can tell. <laughs> are you serious? Yeah, you can totally tell. Shit. In like a bad way or like a... Like a funny, playful Luke way. <laughs> like, oh, he's trying. Oh, sort of. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was weird because... I've heard his voice so many times on different podcasts, and by different podcasts, I mean the Bad Christian podcast, that it was so surreal. Yeah. It was so unbelievably surreal because I'm like, okay, now, and then there were a few times when he answered things, and I, and in hindsight, I'm like, oh, I should have asked him about that because I know about that, but our listeners don't. Yeah. So I didn't dive into it. I'm like, oh, and so I, I kind of regret it. But all in all, I'm, it was an amazing conversation. I'm glad that we were <laughs> able to do it. I like how you're, you're like, my buddy is literally broken up about this. And he's like, oh, <laughs> Dad, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, so this, I think this brings us to an interesting point. And I wanted to wait to have this conversation because I know we've talked about it. But I think it'd be kind of interesting to do it on the podcast. <clears throat> okay. I have no idea what you're talking about, but okay. So... We're about to have Rick Warren eventually, right? Yeah. Yes, nay. Yeah, Rick Maybe. Warren and Steve Gladen. Uh, I got to go through Stephen, who is the small groups pastor at, um, oh, what is it called? Uh, Saddleback Church. Uh, I, I talked to him for like 15, 20 minutes at this Catholic conference that they crashed awesomely. And uh, he brought his, so Rick Warren showed up at this thing called Parish Catalyst. He showed up and gave a talk. I mean, he was scheduled to give a talk and do some Q&A. 
because a lot of Catholic churches are starting like small group stuff, and their church is literally the best in the world at small groups. And so, but instead of talking about like nuts and bolts and stuff, um, he literally gave a talk on the biblical theology of tears of crying as a leader and how that affects your pastoral ministry. Go like, on. Well, so I thought like, wait, what? No, I want you to talk about small groups. And tell me funny stories about how awesome you are. And instead, <laughs> um, instead he literally did like, he went through the whole Bible. Every time I mentioned tears, every time I mentioned crying and then like narrowed it down to like when leaders do this and why do they do this and all this stuff. And like, and then he did scientific research on tears and, why are humans the only ones who cry from emotion or stress tears, you know, as opposed to like lubricating tears or reaction tears? <laughs> God, you are such an infant. And uh, uh, and so he talks about all that stuff and he puts it within the context of his son committing suicide. So, oh. yeah. So, I hope, yeah. So it was oh, pretty. I'm an asshole. I feel terrible right now. Right, right, right. That's what I was about to say. I hope you feel awful. But then I was like, I hope. No, you know, I shouldn't say that. And then you said, I was like, oh, I got permission. Um, but, uh, really, so, um, he just, he just shared with his, cause his son, you know, he's like, we went to the world's best doctors, had him on the world best medicine, you know, everything that could be done for a human being we did for him. And he's like about three years before he committed suicide. He's like, daddy, we've done all this stuff. I just, my brain will forever be messed up and I can't imagine going on living like that. And then one, he had a very beautiful day with his son and. Son went home to his apartment, and the next day he was he was dead. Just utter, 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 utter tragedy. Tragedy. So, um, yeah, I think. Um, and so we just talked about how that the crying and all that aspect um, changes things um, for him when he uh, when he did that. You know, like when he had to take off for six months or something like that, 16 weeks. Wow. And, yeah, gave up preaching and all of this stuff. And um, he has a good friend at CNN. You know, all these people want to interview him, and he does it with one of his friends at CNN. I can't remember. And he just talked about what that means. And it just it was super interesting. But for me, I felt like it was most important for my pastor to hear. Now, I, I say this with a little trepidation because this is, you know, people at my church listen to this. But – there is an element of professionalism or jobby jobism that can create a distance between a church worker and the person that the church worker works works for. Really quick, define church worker. Church worker can be a pastor, clergy, priest, you know, whatever. Or it can also be someone like me. I'm a lay person. And uh, so I just mean anyone that has a ministry that's full-time or, or whatever in the church. And there you can do the the church work stuff from a professional or a I'm giving up on the world kind of perspective and how that just kind of uh, screws everything up. And so his whole thing was when you cry, when it's appropriate, like the crying shows forth or flows from the love you have for your people. And I just started thinking, so fast forward uh, like three days later when I was in a different part of the country. So I was in California then. And then I went to Minnesota where it was 20 below. Um and this Houston boy doesn't know what that means because it was 65 degrees when I left um, <laughs> at, at, at 5 a.m. Um, the things we do for the handsome man that is Father Mike Schmitz. Yeah, no kidding. I will literally do anything for that man. He's so great. He's the best. A good priest. man. Yeah, so great. We um, need to have him on again. Yeah. But anywho, so, uh, no, so um, 
I literally walked in the room. He, Rick Warren told the story of like every day when he drives from his house to the church and he's going to go preach on a Sunday and he preaches for an hour six times a day. Um, so six hours a day and then once on Saturday. He says, Lord, these are your people. You love your people more than I ever could. But, Lord, I love your people. And, and I want your people to, to receive your love through me. And I just want to pour my, my very self into this talk. Lord, help. You know, and it's basically this cry of let me love your people the way you love your people through what I do for your people. And uh, I was just sitting next to my pastor, and the whole time, because I definitely have been there where, like, especially when I was a youth minister, that's when I knew it was, like, time to get out when I was doing high school ministry at a particular church. And it was a great church and everything, but um, there was a lot of, like, spoiledness among the youth and indifference, like, rampant indifference among the parents. And it, it, it broke my tiny little heart. And so I just stopped mm. caring about all of them. You know, and it was like, I'm going to go and give an awesome talk and see how many people shake my hand. But it wasn't like I had a heart for the people. And then mm-hmm. that's really when I knew it's time for me to get out. So, time to go. yeah. Mm-hmm. So hearing Rick Warren say that and being with my pastor and like hoping that my pastor, like, I, you know, I, I just don't know. I don't know what his heart's like for his people because there's 6,200 families at our church. You know, 20. 22- how many priests? Uh, well, one priest, regular priest. And then we have a guy that does um, hospital ministry right now. So he helps to do all the, the hospital, all the hospital chaplaincy stuff. And he does like Sunday masses and some daily masses. He does mm-hmm. life at the church stuff, but he's really not meeting with couples for marriage prep. And, you know, most of our deacons do that anyway. But the yeah. other stuff that Father has to, Father Tom has to do, um, Father Jones focuses his, the majority of his time. And he's gone like eight to 10 hours a day at the hospitals. Because we have, you know, I mean, you have tens of thousands of people in your parish. Hundreds of people are dying every week. So, like, what do you do? Yeah, I'm, I am sorry about that. I had to step away for a second, but I was listening. Yeah, that's really hard. That's really, like, what do you do? How do you handle that as a priest? Like, how do you think, I mean, how should, which is interesting because it actually ties into another topic that I wanted that I wanted to talk about, which is how do you... Well, let's like, how do you handle that? Like, what should what should I mean? It's it's all about attitude, obviously. Like, how, what should your attitude be then? Well, um, I mean, honestly, uh, yeah. Here's the deal. <laughs> I have so many things to say right now. Uh, I think the the biggest problem lies in two things: one, not having a heart for God's people, um, and turning into a jobby job or a profession or this thing that I do from nine to five, or let's be honest, nine to nine, and then I leave. Um, and then there creates this artificial distance. But the other thing is the lack of many Catholic parishes to embrace the fact that they are not a neighborhood church in every, you know, like in any respect, you're not a neighborhood church anymore. You are a regional parish. And once you, you accept the fact that you're a regional parish, you have to do things in a regional way, which means bring on either a, a crap ton of volunteer support or B, Deacons, deacons, deacons. And our church has like four or five deacons, um, which is awesome. And I'm probably going to become a deacon. And we got three men in their first, uh, I think his first two years of diaconate training. One I'm super excited about because he speaks Spanish pretty fluently and all that stuff. So, yes, sir. You are horrible. Um, so, uh, <laughs> he, uh, so it's just going to be great because I'm really, my, my heart right now, honestly, is for the people on the margins of faith, the once a month mm-hmm. or one, a couple times a year mass goers. My heart's for them, and my heart is for um, uh, the Spanish community. 
I don't speak a word of Spanish other than no, no. So other than that, no, um, no, 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 no. <laughs> oh, Lily. Okay, no, that was a different. <laughs> that was a totally different thing. But um, so anywho, it just, it just, you know, it's one of those things where you say like, Lord, what breaks your heart? And then yeah. have it break mine. And for me, it's it's. Um, and I won't say my church is a culprit in this, although we all know, like every Anglo, and I hate that term, but every white English parish, predominantly white English speaking parish, um, tends to ignore the Spanish community, and or we throw them a bone for Our Lady Guadalupe, and for you know we'll give them a mass either once a month or once a week or you know a Sunday mass. And that's really interesting because you. I have witnessed that in different parts of, of American life as well. Yeah. Yeah. Like you see it a lot with um, American soccer when people tend to talk about and where we are as a soccer nation, what our particular style is and what it should look like and what we are good at when they talk about what we are good at, which is what a lot of our World Cup teams look like, tend to be the, t- the type that's played with your uh, suburban clubs. So Great athletes, not a great, great defense, not a lot of uh, tactical skill or acumen, and not a lot of creativity, which you would uh, typically uh, experience more in the Hispanic um, community here in here in the United States, and that gets ignored, except when they want to like have like Hispanic Month or, or something like that. It's really interesting. Yeah, it's really really interesting. Yeah, so I mean, honestly, um, so Rick Warren has a mega church of thirty thousand individuals. We have twenty two. Twenty two thousand. Wow. You know, any parish that has six thousand people is in the twenties, probably. Mm-hmm. But those aren't people that come every week. Six thousand well, families, you mean? Yeah, six thousand families will have twenty thousand people thereabouts, mm-hmm. you know, like depending yeah. on family size and averages and stuff. Yeah. You know, if you're in East LA like our buddy Adam, <laughs> it's like, Oh, you got a bunch of young couples? Oh, so you have zero kids. Okay. Um <laughs> you have one kid and it's Adam's kid and he's the coolest kid on the face of the earth. Um he dressed up as a hip hopopotamus one day when he was oh one. <laughs> Robo is so much cooler than all of us combined. Oh man, I can't wait to get him on the show. Um and I'm gonna go see him again in May. Uh anywho. Um, but Rick Warren has a staff of 400 people. Whoa. Yeah, I'm going to say it again. Whoa. 400 people. I blow people's minds when I tell them that as a Catholic, we have a staff of like 28. How much is that per – I'm trying to think right, right now, and I'm too tired and drunk. To oh, do don't, don't ask me a math question. You ask me a math question, I'm going to hang up, and I'm going to go back to playing Minecraft where I don't have to do math in my head. <laughs> All right, I'll do that. You keep on blabbing. <laughs> no, you keep on blabbing. You keep on with the nonsense. So I, th- I just think this is the biggest struggle. Like, um, you know, because for so long, honestly, American churches were built on the backs of the vocations, especially sisters. American sisters mm-hmm. were at tons of parishes, and if they weren't at your parish, they were at the parish next door. Um, there were hundreds of women um, entering the convent every year in your area, you know, and so you have this um, this situation where with the massive decline of vocations, you have to turn to the laity. But the laity means cash money. So the church has sidestepped that for a long time by, one, not having professionals, that is, people who went to college to train for this, and, B, uh, not having primary income earners as the people in those positions. Hey, I want to I wanna add a a couple things to this but really really quick on his staff he basically has one staff member for every like 75 people that attend his church your 
uh, your parish has one staff for every 1800 people <laughs> so, so how that... about those small groups and one-on-one discipleship oh man yeah. so and... let me let me tell you exactly okay that's a great thing so our parish i'm launching small groups for our parish this lent i'm writing all the curriculum recording all the videos uh writing all the discussion questions uh, I'm having a friend translate all of it. She has a team of five people. They're going to translate it all into Spanish. So our entire church will be on the same page for at least six weeks, for one Lent, our whole That's church. Right, I think this is, this is why I'm saying, like, all of this stuff has given me such a heart for this. But I don't know how, you know, I don't know how good I'm, you know, the thing is actually going to be and blah, blah, blah. But uh, I just think of, like, how much effort this can do and how much space this is going to save us if community groups take, we call it community groups, if that takes off. Like I, I always tell people like when we're doing, cause we're doing a capital campaign to build a fancy new building. And I always tell people like, we have all the space we need. It's just in your homes. Stop coming to the church to get validation for your ministry and start hosting it at your house. It's always better that way. Yep. People don't understand. It is always, if, if you're going to do a Bible study, uh, like we have um, an awesome group of people called um, the Great Adventure. Awesome group. They're dedicated, big, a big team that's like our most, um, it's like full of type A personalities. Like they all just get stuff done, which is so frustrating whenever I pop in on a core team meeting of theirs and they're like, now, Michael, tell us, um, really briefly. And then like an hour later, I'm like, so this is like, this is like, like we could go like, like we could go to the moon guys, you know? And they're like, Oh my God, get this guy out of here. Um, <laughs> but, uh, cause I'm an idea person. You want me on your team. Um, but they, the, the, one of the things is right. So they run our ministry, which is this massive Bible studies that they coordinate. Um, that connect to the Jeff Cavins DVDs published by Ascension Press, the Bible Timeline, Gospel of Matthew, et cetera, et cetera. My dad punched me in the face. <laughs> you always say that. But what when they I'm... have, when I, I tell people, like, but anyone could buy the DVDs in the workbook and, and in the house, sit down and do it. You know, and so my whole thing is I, I really do believe that less less is more, but it's very difficult for me to say that because I kind of grew up in this mentality where more is more. Um, I mean, that's like, you know, like, I mean, it's pride for me. Uh, I'm not saying for that ministry, but for me, it's pride because I'm like, I need to have more people. I need to have more people in the seats, more people like listening. And now I've learned. So like Reverend Billy Graham used to always say things like they would go and preach a crusade to like 20,000 people. And they would say, how many people you think, you know, are, were, are saved, you know? And he would say probably about one or two percent or two or three percent. And that would just shock me because they would have thousands, you know, come forward and profess Christ. Well, I think you um, – a great example of that is the Steubenville conferences. You know, think about how many teens just go to that, but then how but then how many who attend five to ten years later would identify as a practicing a, – a disciple of Christ. I'd say it's probably around that same – it's around that uh, same number. I could yeah. be wrong, but I, I just, just from my own experience in, in ministry. Well, yeah, and there's a lot of stuff that kind of goes into that, not just with Steubenville Conferences. I think Steubenville Conferences as a conference does it better than anything else. But um, Steubenville Conferences is relying on – like they build in small group time because they are relying on continuity before, during, and after oh, yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah. the conference, which very few conferences do. Very few, Most conferences are like come to the conference. It's an amazing experience. Whereas the Steubenville Conference kind of positions itself as – sorry, I had to burp positions uh, the Sumville conference positions itself as you know you're going to be empowered by the holy spirit and hear these great speakers so you can go back home and change things you know like you can go back home and and really live 
you know, your, your faith. It's like, this isn't a faith that we're giving you here. We expect you have some, and it's going to get great. It's a catalyst, right? It's yeah, yeah, yeah. Greatly enrich it. But there are a lot of, and this is one of the topics I wanted to talk about. There are a lot of, like, retreats. And I don't know if you looked at the Facebook page, but this is one of the things that super fanboy Chris Donato recommended. Oh, I love Chris Donato. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. He's awesome. He really is. Good um, man. Yeah, uh, great hair. Uh, he recommended, um, we talk about confirmation retreats. And I've done probably 40 confirmation retreats in the last, like, five years. Junkie. Well, I'm not that. <laughs> no, that was a joke. That was a joke. Just at first, I was thinking. Well, not like people. You know, I've been hired as a speaker to go out and do. But <laughs> relax. I know. You get your I'm, panties all in a bunch. I'm so, listen, listen. Number one, number one. They're not panties. They're boxer briefs. Number two. I don't need to talk about my underwear. Number three. Yes, I do. Sensitive. They're gorgeous. Uh, <laughs> number four. I I am an AVG, so I am a sensitive Sally. Go on. Yeah, no kidding. Um, uh, no, but the confirmation retreats that I've been on around the country, you know, they're all different kinds, but a lot of them build themselves as this incredible experience. And as a confirmation retreat, you know, I've been at, and witnessed some of the best retreat ministry ever. But, you know, it's one of the tenets on my website that a lot of people don't understand. I call it missional continuity. Um, most confirmation retreats do not have missional continuity. The, the mission of the retreat is the retreat. So a lot of places will have a retreat team that all they do is the retreat, and they, they don't work with the kids before, they don't work with the kids after, they do the retreat. And you know what? I'm yeah. sorry. No, no, no. Go. No, I, you know what? I'm going to – I get fired. I don't really – I don't even care anymore. So one of the things that I do with in my work is we do a – a conference called abide yeah and within abide it's really freaking great and one of the things that i love is it the goal of abide is uh, it is to form missionary uh, disciples okay and it is an, an intense five-day long thing that ends with them going out into the streets doing intense prayer ministry which when we did it over the summer last year ended up with the kids not just praying with people in the streets but they brought them into the church where there was where we had a night fever going on which was adoration and stuff and they prayed with them at the church awesome it was insane to see because because again like it was just so cool to see kids like bring them to christ and then pray with them like we had a guy who some crazy stuff may have happened can't really go into specifics could have been a miracle you know yeah but anyways let that out but um (laughs) no 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 i mean that's fine i think that's well okay finish your thought finish your thought about my my like my thought was within the catholic church we don't ever talk about movement it's more just, and now you're here, and you're fine. Yeah. Like oh, you, you oh, that's graduated. so true. Yeah. And, there, and we don't have this idea that it is, there are there are there are stages, and then we actually go back to each stage, and, and at different points in our life, experience them at a more of a profound, or even on a less profound level. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's yeah. been plenty of times. I mean, just in the past year where I have found myself going into the encounter mode and having a profound encounter with the Lord. And then I found myself, you know, within the next like day or two, all the way, you know, like Alec missionary, a discipleship or like, you know, with this idea of, and I, so I become obsessed in my work. Like, Oh, I mean, it's almost unhealthy with the idea of, horizontal movement as opposed to let's just count our numbers. It's more like if we've got a hundred, if we have a hundred teens who are at the encounter stage, that means that we should be planning to have maybe half that amount come to a missionary, a discipleship retreat or yeah. something along those lines. 
Yeah. So uh, really interesting. Yeah. And so um, on the conference that I was at, one person said, tying it back to Chris Donato's comment that we talk about confirmation exclamation point. Um, great beard. <clears throat> oh, such a great beard. Uh, the notion that um, so many people go through confirmation and utterly leave the church. And so I had this woman say to me at this um, Parish Catalyst conference that I was at, which was really great. I had a good time. Got to go. Yeah, that's the one where we saw Rick Warren. At the conference, this woman says, you know, we got this and that. And everyone's kind of, in the beginning, everyone shares, like, how awesome they are. You know, like, oh, we got this great youth ministry program. Oh, we got the, you know, and everyone's like, okay, okay, okay. And then I love my boss, Barb, because she's just like, you know what we really struggle with? We got problems with this, this, and this. We're doing these great, but we got this, this, and this. And it's just like, she's like, I'm done. I, d- I didn't fly all the way to California. I'm not hanging out with people who are not my husband so that I can, like, try to prove to strangers that we're awesome. She's like, I, ain't nobody got time for that. Let's just go to it. But this one woman was like, you know, and we just can't seem to solve the riddle of why we have this sharp drop-off after our wonderful confirmation, uh, wonderful confirmation retreat and confirmation year. And everything inside of me screamed out, then your confirmation program utterly sucks, right? Like, yep. you, you can't say, well... Maybe we'll do a, a better retreat or a longer retreat or a shorter mm-hmm. retreat. Or a, Which know. is hard because those, cause those people put a lot of work into those things, you know. But it's the epitome of it is maintenance over mission, which I think then harkens back to we don't have the right answer for when Christ asks us, who do you say that I am? Anyways, go on. <laughs> well, and the whole thing that Sherry Waddell points out is – uh, the author of Forming Intentional Disciples, is if you put maintenance over mission, you ultimately don't even have maintenance. Maintenance can't maintain because maintenance is boring. There's no vitality, and that's what Pope Francis talked about in uh, uh, Joy of the Gospel. There is no vitality in maintenance. There's curmudgeons in maintenance. There's tradies versus liberals in maintenance. There's all of this stuff. And it and it like it, it's in house conflict. Meanwhile, souls are being lost for eternity because we're arguing amongst ourselves about things that won't that we can't resolve. Like I think the church ought to be the church in America ought to be a lot more traditional in her worship than she currently finds herself today. You hear that, Tradies? I said it. Okay, <laughs> calm down, subreddit. Okay. We agree. <laughs> yeah, I I do like, and I you know one of the things that I hate is conference masses. Right, where you're in a crappy hotel conference center, and it's like, here's a folding table and a bed sheet. Let's have mass. Yeah, and you're like, I, come on. I've, I actually have an extremely good buddy of mine who, when we were talking about his overall a conversion, I asked him if he think it was a delayed by the fact that he was so put off by conference masses. And he goes, I think that did have a part because it was not until he experienced more of a like a traditional uh, type of a mass that he began to see the beauty of the liturgy and the, and the, and the power behind that. Yeah. I think there's, I, th- I do think that, that people who do conferences and I am including myself in that as one who puts on one that like, we need to address that. We need to think about that, about like what is sacred and what and how do we enhance it? How do we make? How do we make it more sacramental? Yeah, because I feel like we're on we're on the outside looking in, and so this is what I think. This is what I think. People who get it don't get how to tell people who don't get it. <laughs> they don't like people mm-hmm. who love church, love Christ, love things like that. Um, even if it's in a nostalgic or superficial attachment, or if it's true, authentic faith. 
Um, if they don't have a burning desire in their heart to reach people who don't know Christ, um, they and they stay in that mode, right? Believers end up after a certain amount of years, certain amount of time, believers end up only having believers as friends. So they even forget how to talk to non-believers, how to be around an atheist and have a conversation where both people are enriched. They don't know how to do it. They only know how to argue, hence Thanksgiving across the nation, right? Like, especially during an election year. We don't know how to have a conversation about this stuff. And so the reason why I bring all that up is because I feel like when we do a retreat, we don't realize that the, like you said it best, I think it was like episode five, where you're like, I'm so sick and tired of doing catechesis when really what we should be saying is this is like when kids are wondering, does God even exist? And we're like, and God wants you to do this and this and this. And they're like, does he even exist? Is this just all like Mm -hmm. Santa Claus kind of stuff? And I think the model of many confirmation retreats, number one, doesn't seek to um, bring teens to an encounter with Christ. Number two, doesn't, doesn't like radically challenge the false assumptions of our culture that teens have unwittingly or wittingly accepted and then doesn't present the basic gospel message in a robust and real way. And so that's what I, I mean, like I just did a theology of the body retreat for Father Mike, and it was probably the worst theology of the body retreat Father Mike's group has ever experienced because he he said, like, he wanted um, that there are, it's supposed to be like an immersion into the theology of the body, but people come from all different, you know, they bring different youth groups. Some kids are freshmen, blah, blah, blah. They're really not at that place to hear like, hey, we're going to talk literal theology. And so he's like, you know, give like chastity from a theology of the body perspective, you know, do a basic gospel message thing. And I click into cast down your idols mode pretty quickly these days. And um, I just, uh, one one guy came up to me. This is how fragile my ego is. A guy came (laughs) up to me. I I sent this to you or told this to you, but um, a guy came up to me on Saturday afternoon. He's like, hey man, I really loved your Saturday morning talk. And I was like, thanks. And he goes, yeah. Yeah, and I'm like, okay, here's a nice compliment. How do I respond in a gentle yet humble way? And I'm like, thank you so much. That really means a lot. And he goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was much better than last night's. And I was <laughs> I like, that. and I'm done. And he's like, yeah, my kids were like, wow, someone must have given them some feedback because last night's was pretty awful. <laughs> and I was like, and now I'm dead inside. Thank like, you. Listen, buddy, I got no sleep because of this podcast. All right, so <laughs> it's, yeah, I, I'm really starting to become more convinced that we need to scale back as a church dramatically and, and, and in the sense of like in, in both in our both in uh, the what, the how and the who. And so by that, I mean, like, again, answering that question of who do you say that I am? And if you cannot honestly say that we are a believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he's God. I mean, and now listen, that can be, there are times when I'm like, do I really believe this? But if we're not ardently trying to, you know, uh, partake in his a divine life and in an actual like, friendship with him, you can't be in ministry. You can't be a church worker. Like you, li- I, like you should stop almost. I think like, I, I, I don't see how we can do this any anymore. Like if things don't change in about 10 years time, Everything that we know of the Catholic Church that we that like of what it is right now with all of our all of our schools, all of our parishes, of the ministries, they're going to be gone or they'll be dramatically different and they will eventually die out. Schools, Catholic schools right now cannot exist like they are hemorrhaging money, 
hemorrhaging and yeah. it's the same i have not been at a catholic school in my i was in education for about almost let's go with like we'll say seven years. seven years yeah yeah i nailed it i know you <laughs> as good as you know you <laughs> intimately um <laughs> every school i've been at every year's hell every year's hell there's an awful thing that happens every single year and and part of that is just because you're doing ministry and the road is narrow and it is hard yeah. The other part of that is that we like we literally don't have money. Yeah, we, yeah. we so cannot bad. afford our staff. Like back in 1950s, when you had a lot of priests and nuns who taught, they that was about I mean, 92 or I I I, I believe 92 a percent of your labor was basically almost free. Yeah. Now yeah. it's only four percent. Yeah. That model isn't possible. No. And when people don't tithe and they don't tithe because they don't actually believe. Yeah. And they're being taught by um, by a lot of people. Or they're being quote unquote catechized by people who kind of don't actually believe. Yeah. Well, that's what. She, uh, oh gosh, I'm going to quote Sherry Waddell the whole time. Sherry Waddell talks about in forming intentional disciples. She called it the um, uh, the spiral of silence, where Jesus becomes he who shall not be named, and it becomes like parents don't talk about Jesus and following Christ and all this stuff at home. And then most of the catechists are parents, and they actually, while teaching religion classes or catechesis, CCD, RE, whatever, we call it faith formation, um, that they don't talk about Christ there either. So it's this silence that keeps spinning um, out of control, and it's probably because of two root causes. We all think we're all universalists, which means we think, oh, you just got to be good enough and you'll go to heaven. And we're all Pelagians, which means... All you got to do is be a, like a decent human being and God will give you heaven. You like earn it. And so I feel like um, those two things, like we don't need to teach Jesus. We teach church rules and the history and liturgical calendars, but we don't teach about scripture. And like, for instance, my archdiocese has a wonderful book on how to pray um, that to teach little kids. And I, I think I might've brought this up. I use it for my kids. Like at age two, they should know this at age five, they should know this, you know? And it's really great how it goes through all this stuff. But the one thing I noticed is there was not a single place in there that taught spontaneous, free talking to God and is, you know, the words of St. Francis de Sales, it's someone else's words, even though it's anointed, even though it's scriptural or whatever, it's someone else's words. How are you going to grow in intimacy when you're always quoting someone else's words? Well, I think for some people, there's this disgust of the idea of a personal relationship with Christ. Again, I've been in meetings where that idea yeah. has been mocked. I mean, and I was just, yeah. <sighs> Anyways, wait, 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 wait. Can you? Can we? Can we? Can we do something real quick? Can yeah. we break down what that meeting was like? Horrible. It was the most painful, awkward thing. I, like it just. All so what sudden, happened? Like you, you made a comment, or someone made a comment, like your boss was, or something. I'm trying. It was brought up. I'm. I'm gonna have to be very careful how I word this. I was at a meeting with some people who are part of a church institution, and the, the notion. <laughs> You're so coy. <laughs> I know. There was this thing. So somehow I was brand new, and I was just there, to kind of observe, introduce myself, like, hey, you know. See how see how they do stuff. We opened up. We it's like Lexio. They wouldn't really call it that, but that's on what it was. And it was okay. And when we started to talk about it, they started to look, this guy may or may not have been a priest. Uh, he goes, you know, only hear about this personal relationship with Jesus. Like, what does that even mean? Like, okay, I know who he is. Everybody, you know, and they all kind of like, oh yeah, that's just so weird. Like, what does that you know? And I, I was just like, the hell are you people talking about? Yeah. You above all people should know what this means. Now we can, I understand the idea of 
I think a lot of times people think that is a Protestant idea, where yeah. in reality, I think Protestants hijack this one part of the faith that's all that they emphasize, and that's what makes us mad. But instead of trying to build a bridge and actually engage, we'd rather scream, he stole my toy. <laughs> or and, we'd rather admit that it wasn't our toy to begin with. Like, yeah, like that's, that's not a part of our tradition. That's I, I don't want it anyways. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, who's going to die yeah. for an idea? Yeah. That they're not, well, I mean, a lot of people will die for an idea, but an, an idea that doesn't like, like it's it's again. It, Doctor it Ron Paul says there is nothing more powerful than a than an idea whose time has come. <laughs> That's probably uh, sorry. That, that was that way to high level. No, no, no. I know what you're saying. Like, no one's going to die for an abstraction. Yeah. Right. Yeah. God like, is real. He's not an abstraction. He's not a philosophical concept. That's why I love Blaise Pascal, a Catholic, um, 16th ooh. century Catholic philosopher and, and, you know, scientist and all this <laughs> stuff. He would wrote, he wrote, um, not the God of the philosophers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Jesus, fire, all fire, whatever he wrote. And he had that pinned to his shirt. So he would remember, like, when I get, like, in this mindset of, like, God is this, you know, Utter simplicity and supreme majesty and infinite blah, 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 blah. He can forget that God is personal, you know, that he, he comes in fire and wrath and he's perfectly just and perfectly holy and overwhelmingly merciful and is love itself. And so, when you know what, a friend of ours um, or an individual, uh, I don't know how much of French she is of yours, but I love her to death. Um, her name is Carol Brown. She talks specifically about this. Uh, this, I think, produces an ache in her soul probably more than anything else, and I'm just guessing that. But when people say, like, a personal relationship has no place in the Catholic Church, she actually wrote this epic, like, 13-page response article for the Pastoral and Homiletic Review, which wrote a um, a, a woman who is, a, I believe, a theologian, doctor, um, wrote a piece against forming intentional disciples by saying essentially that it's a Protestant notion of discipleship. We don't really say that. And um, I'm probably mischaracterizing it. But she said essentially she has a huge problem with the language of a personal relationship. No, we don't have a personal relationship like that. We have sacraments. And it's one of the gravest misunderstandings of the relationship between word and sacrament, between faith and sacrament, and faith and works, and all of this stuff, one of the gravest misunderstandings of Catholic doctrine, because we've always had to emphasize so strongly against Luther and Calvin and their followers, these other things, you know? And so it seems like, well, we're a church that's all about the other things. So I feel like if I want to understand what the church teaches about the radical salvation given to us in faith, I actually have to read St. Thomas Aquinas, and I can't read you know, people writing today because it always has that Protestant um, fight in the background. And she wrote this beautiful thing, and, and I just keep thinking about it. And she's like, just look at the, the language of our last popes. Like Pope John Paul II said something in the lines of accepting the saving sovereignty of Christ, which means Lord and Savior, right? You know, you think about all these this language, right? Pope Benedict talked about encountering Christ more than Pope Francis ever did. Um, encountering the individual person of Christ, he was all about that. You mean by you mean more than John Paul II than no 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 I mean more than no I, Pope <laughs> Benedict just does okay yeah sorry sorry yeah, Pope okay. Benedict wrote about that I shouldn't say more like I've done a quantitative analysis but like, no, but like he talked about it all the, the things, time. like themes of of his you see that's yeah. we we rely on a lot of his stuff for what we do because it uh, it it has really enlightened and kind of opened up like what are the neatest for our current time. Yeah, I think Pope Benedict is much um, – he's way – number one, he's way maligned. 
Um, I think Pope Francis is a pope, um, this is going to sound like communist, but for the people, of the people, by the people kind of thing. But mm-hmm. Pope Benedict was a pope's pope, right? Yeah, like, yeah. In yeah. all, in, in all of his... Church workers, pope, if the church workers are doing their jobs right. Yeah, if everyone is doing what they should be doing, he's their pope. And yep. I love, I mean, I'm a super fan of Cardinal Ratzinger. I own like half of his books. Uh, I'm still saving money for the other half. But um, that to end, I, I gave Aunt D uh, for Christmas this year uh, the Jesus of Nazareth. Book. Oh, and it's so good. It's so good. Um, but he talks about encountering the person of Christ and receiving the person of Christ, surrendering to the person of Christ, having faith in the person of Christ in such a way that I don't hear priests, deacons, bishops, me talking about. Like, And so when people have this allergy within the Catholic Church to a personal relationship, it's because they believe it sets itself against the sacraments because Protestants who don't have sacraments talk about that. And so one of the things I, I threw by Father Michael Schmitz. So Father Michael Schmitz is like my spirit animal. I love that guy. Um, but he uh, he liked a, a, a phrase that I said so much that he put it in a homily and attributed it to me, which is my heart's greatest joy. Because um, I listened to his homilies as a podcast. And he's like, my friend from Texas. And I was like, oh. Um, but <laughs> that was he, like when we got name dropped on Catholic Stuff You Should Know. And they were yeah. like, Luke, he's a good guy from back in my Denver days. I was like, I love you, Father John. Go on. <laughs> yeah, but he said, um, he said, you know, I really like that quote that you said. As Catholics, we were never really taught how to pray. Some people were. A lot of people were. We were never really taught how to pray. We were only taught how to repeat. And when I talk with adults, none of them have a prayer life who don't go to church. None of them do. So I try to break into that to have a prayer life, right? Um, But my other line that I've noticed is these, you know, the ritual church, the sacramental church has its own messes. It creates, people can receive a sacrament and think they're saved even though they have zero faith, right? Zero faith. It's a superstition to them. It's magic to them. If they don't have faith in Christ, Pope Benedict talked about, you know, he said we need to have serious theological reflection on the validity of a sacrament given where no faith is present, where it's a dead faith, right? And that's huge for the church. because Yeah, I mean, we touched on it lightly with J.D. Flynn when we interviewed him about um, canon law and marriages. But if you don't believe in the sacrament of matrimony as permanent, as unifying, and as procreative, because that's what our faith tells us. And you don't believe there are, like Bolton Sheen said, three to get married. Like, this is a covenant before God. You're just doing that to make grandma happy. Are you even married? Because it's on a piece of paper and some priest said some words? Because we know that it's the spouses that marry. Like, are you even married? Are you really confirmed, even though before, during, and after you're an atheist? Like, there's a kid that made a YouTube video about how he faked it. Or not faked it, but, like, he did the bare minimum. He's an atheist. He loves being an atheist. And he got his confirmation. He's coming out as an atheist the day after and or whatever it was. And, and it's like, that kid, could you honestly say that that kid received the sacrament? I know it's not dependent on the holiness of the guy providing the sacrament, that it happens, you know, by the very deed done. But at the same time, if I'm receiving the sacrament, like, I mean, just think about the Eucharist, right? If I'm in mortal sin and I receive the Eucharist, I receive objectively the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. Subjectively, it's a mortal sin. The person next to me is a canonizable saint. They just received the nourishment unto their salvation, right? And we both received the same thing. Subjective disposition matters. And I feel like when it comes to confirmation, kind of bring it back to this, when it comes to all this stuff, we forget that it matters. And this is where I'm going to tie in Father Michael Schmitz. I said this line about confession. He said, you know, I can't remember exactly what we were talking about. And I said, listen, it's along the line of the whole priest thing or the whole praying thing. Like, we don't pray. We just repeat. 
He's like, okay, I'm ready for it. Because we were talking about repentance. And I said, I feel like for many Catholics, repentance or confession has replaced repentance. Whereas if you study it in the catechism, it is personal repentance that sends us to confession. And I feel like it's like, you know, what do we do? Well, we list our sins, go to confession, give them the list, walk away. You know, we have absolution and we walk away and we go and do our penance and blah, blah, blah. But the church talks about deep contrition for our sins and sorrow. And a lot of people are sorry because, you know, they know they shouldn't be doing it. You know, but what about that intrinsic repentance? Well, they've never done that once in their lives, you know, because it's still all about me. And repentance doesn't make me feel good. Repentance is me saying it's not all about me. And I have these false gods that are literally ruining me. And so for me, driving home the personal relationship is what powers the sacraments on the subjective disposition, right? So if I receive the Eucharist in love with Jesus Christ, St. Thomas Aquinas, I'm even, I'm going to, what do you think about what I'm saying while I dig up this prayer from St. Thomas Aquinas? (laughs) Well, it just, it keeps, I, it reminds me of what Christ says. I believe he's talking to Peter when he goes, who do you say that I am? Yeah, he's talking to his apostles. Yeah, like, who do you, like, who is, it's not, like, who do you think that Jesus is? And it's okay, like, it's, it's not, it's, it's okay if the answer is I don't know, or I don't, I don't believe, but we can't be participating in these things, or if, without having, uh, without having to truly wrestle with that question. Like, have you, well, actually, this is a whole other, a can of worms, so I will wait on that. Okay, well, let me just read this one part from St. Thomas Aquinas. Grant, I beg of you that I may receive not only the sacrament of the body and blood of our Lord, okay, so objectively, but also its full grace and power. Give me the grace, most merciful God, to receive the body of your only Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, born of the Virgin Mary, in such a manner that I may deserve to be intimately united with his mystical body and to be numbered among his members. Most loving Father, grant that I may behold for all eternity, face to face, your beloved Son. Like, it just, it is this imagery of like, Okay, so here's the thing I'm going to get, but I don't want to get something. I want to receive you, you know? And then don't even get me started with St. Bonaventure's prayer after Holy Communion, which you can get on the Laudate app. I tell people, like, literally had a person say, I don't like this whole personal relationship with God. Like, that's not a part of the church teaching. That's Protestant. And I said, really? Read the prayer of St. Bonaventure after Communion. I go, you got that Laudate app? And he's like, yeah. I'm going to go open it up right now, go to post-communion prayers, and read the prayer of St. Bonaventure, and you tell me he doesn't have an overwhelmingly intimate relationship with the person Jesus Christ. And it says things, I mean, like, he calls God, Jesus, his torrent of pleasure, the richness of the house of God, may it ever encompass thee, seek thee, find thee, run to thee, attain to thee, meditate upon thee, speak to thee, and do all things in praise and glory of thy name with humility, delight, ease, and affection. And he just, my riches, my delight, my pleasure, my joy, my rest and tranquility, my peace, all that charms me, my fragrance, my sweetness. He is in love with Christ, using the language of a man for a woman for crying out loud. And here, and this is his post-communion prayer, right? This is like my personal relationship and the sacraments are not opposed you know, it's pretty personal to me. Yeah, and Scott Hahn used to have this phrase, um, more Bible Christians will become Catholic when Catholics become Bible Christians, right? So when we learn and know Scripture and we sit down with someone who calls themselves a Bible Christian and they say to you, well, I'm not Catholic because you guys don't know your Bible. And you're like, well, I know my Bible in and out. Like, let's talk. 
you know, my, you know, I do that all the time. People say to me all the time, I've never known a Catholic who knows scripture before. And I'm like, well, that's because I'm awesome. But, um, <laughs> but it's literally like when we talk about for the evangelical, it's not about knowing scripture per se. For the evangelical, it is the personal connection to Christ. That is what will change their hearts is when they see cat. So it, you could say like evangelicals will become Catholic when Catholics have a relationship with Christ that is their center, which it should be. That's what faith is. It's a surrender of your life to another. It's trust. It's the trust of a person. I've been talking too long. You haven't interrupted me. How dare you? <laughs> well, let's, okay, so let's, we've been pointing, the, we've been pointing a whole bunch of fingers here. I confirmation think in, retreat. In a good way. <laughs> in a good way. Uh, hire us to do your confirmation re- retreat. We'll just grab a mic and talk to them. Um, <laughs> so kids, right? Everyone else is stupid but us. We got all the answers, am I right? Follow us on Instagram, catching <laughs> underscore foxes. Um, hey kids, could you go on iTunes and write us a review? <laughs> no? Really help us spread the word so we can keep it going. Thanks, guys. Here's a sticker. A T-shirt and an NFP <laughs> prep kit. You here's some acne cream too. Get that fixed. It's gross. Um, <laughs> some acne cream. I love to make fun of junior high kids. It's the best. Oh, They're just you're... smelly and loud and annoying. I, and they, I love them. Um, uh, Safe environment. Continue. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I know. As soon as I was like, that sounds really weird. <laughs> Cut that out. Um, nope. No, I just mean I enjoy their energy. Okay, so um, safe environment. Vargas. So many things will get me fired. No, you were gonna say, context. yeah, you were gonna say, okay, we've been going on and on about blah blah blah. Yeah, let's so let's point uh, the finger inwards a bit here. When we talk about a personal safe environment, <laughs> um, I mean, like ultimately, like I, you know, Christ asked all of us that question of who do you say that I am, which makes the faith personal, and it means that we have to it it. It demands an individual response from from each of us. So I want to ask you, well, let's start with this. How sure are you that all of this is right? That like Christ is real, that this is all true? Yeah, you know, we did that atheism episode, like where we're tempted to atheism. Yeah. And I think that's, a, I, th- I stand by everything I said in that, but... The more I plunge into Scripture, especially the four Gospels, which I think I know everything, and, and over and over again, God shows me how I'm a big, dumb animal. Um, there is this deeper love that I didn't even realize was there, like this, like an underground river. It's the only way I can explain A rushing but underground river. And it constantly keeps seeping into my basement. Safe environment. But... uh it constantly keeps coming into my life, and um, I realized one day I went to confession, a really awesome confession, not because of what the priest said or did, but honestly because of how repentant I was, and it wasn't emotional. Like, I got up, I walked, well, it was emotional, but I got up and I walked out of there, and I'm like, things are going to be different, and like, I can't wait, and there was this amazing joy. Like, I've seen miracles right in front of my eyes. Like, it's just crazy. I can't account for any of this stuff. One of the guys that I hope we have on, uh, a guy named Keith, um, he, like, healed one of my coworkers right in front of my eyes, uh, you know, and it's like, I don't, I can't doubt. I can't doubt anymore. I want to doubt, but I've seen too many miracles. I think there is that thing inside of me, especially when we recorded that episode where I'm like, you know, I do struggle with doubt, but I think it's because I kind of want it not to be true. 
because I kind of want to not have a judge of the entire universe mm-hmm. that I'm accountable for. Mm-hmm. But in reality, I've seen too much, and I, I know too much to say there is no God. Like, And I come from that place now. Like, I, The last retreat, the, the it was a theology of the body retreat, and I kept telling kids, like, cast down your idols. I don't just saying that, but um, <laughs> cast down your idols. What is this guy talking about? Cast, cast down your idols. idols. Right, and so I idols just... Idols must be casted down. <laughs> I just kept saying to them, like, you know, you know, like talking about sex. I was like, you can get afraid of sex and, you know, all the repercussions of it and avoid premarital sex for years. I said, but one of the, these days, you're going to get, like, hammered drunk. The fear, anxiety, and stuff is going to be, like, gone. And you're going to have sex, and you're going to realize, oh, that's not that big a deal. And then you're going to enter into the lifestyle that you were afraid to do for years, you know? Like a, like a youth group kid with alcohol, right? He's afraid to get drunk because everyone gets hammered, smashed, and then they kill themselves in car accidents. And then he gets drunk with his friends, and it's like, oh, there's no big deal. And then he's down the life, you know? Um, I feel like... Uh, I kept having to stop and be like, you know, like none of this makes sense. I mean, it makes sense in a natural law way, but you don't care about that. You don't even keep your own laws that you make up for yourself. Oh, I'm not going to eat cheesecake for a month after tomorrow. (laughs) Yeah, after tomorrow, right? We don't even keep our own New Year's resolutions. Like they're just a joke, you know, all this stuff. We don't even do that for ourselves. Why would we do it for a divine law that we don't even... You know, we're not really sure about and blah, blah, blah. So my whole, I, kept, I just kept stopping. Literally, I would stop almost in mid-sentence and be like, but honestly, kids, none of this matters unless Christ is the center of the center, right? Because you're going to use, even if you kind of believe, you're just going to use God to get a good life. And it might even be God's version of a good life, but he's still going to be used by you in order to get there. So you might have the squeaky clean moral life, but so did the elder brother in the story of the prodigal son, and it profited him nothing. In fact, it ruined him having a squeaky clean life because he didn't have the heart of love for his father, right? And I'm like, that's what's going to happen. And this is the big thing with confirmation retreats is I think there is an implicit fear that everyone feels that's running those retreats that we don't acknowledge that in one year we will see almost none of their faces. So we'll do what we can do now, but then that's it. Mm-hmm. And you know I'm I, I'm at a church where I think we do a phenomenal retreat. Um, I think because we have a phenomenal confirmation program, and I'd lie if I said 100 percent of our teens that go through it come out the other side. But you know our juniors and seniors who are still active in the church. But I would definitely say it is a lot of kids who come out the other side loving their Catholic faith. Do they love Christ? I don't know. I think they're on the journey. I definitely do. But our confirmation programming, kids ask questions, they challenge, they're very challenging, and they're allowed to be um, for a whole year. They're allowed to push back, allowed to argue, and they do, and their teachers love them for it. And all they, the thing that pisses our teachers off is when they're disengaged, when they're apathetic. You can argue with them with your atheism all day long and you're pro, pro this and pro that, and they'll, they'll, okay, let's talk about this. What do you think? What do you think? What do you think? Okay, well, this is what the church thinks. And this is why the church thinks that. And this is what it means when you tie it to Christ. And then our confirmation tree is literally just basic gospel message. And you have so many kids who are like, holy crap, I had no idea that it was really like this. Yeah. That's awesome. Really? That's your response? I like it. <laughs> that's yours. What the hell were you doing? I've been thinking. What the hell were you doing? Your voice kept dropping out. I also opened up the uh, door because I was burning up in, in this closet. I'm stuck in the closet. Um, 
<laughs> yeah, I, I, um, one of the things that I had a really powerful experience at a thing that, um, Net did here at a at a parish, and it really one of the things that what I challenged myself when I was praying in adoration to not look down, to not close my eyes, to keep my attention on Christ, yeah. on the Eucharist, and it was really powerful. I, I um I I think that when I also have to say like who are you there I'm, I'll be honest I'm still at a point where there are times where I'm like oh, man so this is like is this ever going to get easier like am I ever just like and 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 I know with me it comes down to obedience yeah I need to learn to trust the church and that where is doubt let there be trust as opposed to whatever and and there and you know like you're right there are too many things that I've experienced that I can't sit there and go that wasn't real that was you know like that like there's just way too much and i think what i'm starting this is what i was, what I was trying to get i was like what does that personal relationship look like and with me right now it means that my attention i don't i'm trying to not turn inwards when i pray yeah. and that is both in my where my eyes are my own body language and at times not telling god what i want but asking what do you want of me what do you have to tell me and just being quiet and being patient because yeah. I am so – I want a Damascan moment so badly. I'm like, if you just gave me – I never had one of those in, insane conference experiences where I was like openly like weeping or crying. I faked being slain in the, in the spirit <laughs> the first time it happened. Like, you know, like – I did I just, too. I did too. Yeah, like I never had that. And I just like, why can't I just have this freaking – like why, why? why? I, mean, I, I can't – remember being a kid being really upset over something that would like kids get upset about and and i was praying about being like god will you just appear to me i would just like love to see you or mary would someone just appear and there just there, there wasn't anything like and nothing happened i was like so then is this real and, and then you looked up to the heavens and you went eloi eloi lama sabachthani <laughs> and then the skies open and god said i hate you luke um but you always should have known that <laughs> <laughs> no, but but I'm starting to learn that it is, or not learn because I've always known that, but like, it's seed in my own life that you know it is a it is. I see God, I see kind of Christ in my wife in our, our conversations. Like He always, it's so it's just great. Like when I get out of my own personal shell, when I put my eyes towards Christ, it's amazing what comes from that. Yeah. So I want to ask you um, something real quick. How do you translate that? I want to ask you two questions. One is how do you translate that to a group of teenagers who are apathetic on a confirmation retreat or something like that? Uh, two, how do you um, – you had mentioned before that someone who may be your boss um, might open up meetings that you might theoretically have with Letio Divina almost all the time. Time out really quick. Uh, was not my boss, but people do it anyways that I work with. That was just a, a different thing. Okay, well, you didn't have to say timeout. You could just say that like a normal human. I like doing the Zach Moore's timeouts. <laughs> timeout. Hey, everybody. Don't you yeah, think AC out. Slater is being way too... Anywho, um, do you... <laughs> I, couldn't... I had no idea where to go with that. And you said Time Kelly... in. You said Kelly Kapowski, and that was a much funnier word to say than AC Slater. <laughs> um, so what was that li... What is it like to be in a culture of staff prayer? Like my staff, we pray um, f fervently, devoutly, but um, it's mostly like really great prayer as bookends. You know what I mean? 
Um, and I'm totally guilty of this. I, when I teach a class, I do a prayer in the beginning, prayer at the end. I really, really pray what I pray. I really mean it. But at the same time, it's not like my teaching is suffused in prayer or we're going to take 15 minutes and do a Letio Divina. I would say number one, number two, answer which one you want. So, okay. So let's start off with the prayer thing. The big, so me and my actual like, supervisor and my boss, we've had a couple meetings where we've started off with doing a little bit, a little bit of Lexio. And a lot of the uh, teams that I work with out that are um, not a part of my office, uh, we will always start with a bit of Lexio. And the difference is, I think from that one meeting that I was referring to, and, and, I, and I hope, Okay, I have, to be, I have to be really careful with how I put this. There's, I've experienced the most, I hate to use this term because it's such Christianese fruit, by when, like with the people that I immediately work with, which is my supervisor, and again, these other, these other groups of people, when there is real vulnerability, when it's not just us talking about, oh, how isn't this this like scripture so great, you know, and more of just like a fun Bible study where there's a, a real sense of in my prayer life, I'm I'm starting to see this, and we really dive in and go like, what is God trying to tell us right now? Yeah, what is God doing right now? What are we seeing right now in our prayer here and our overall ministries and especially within our own lives? That's the difference, I think, when there's real of a vulnerability and an, and and. And I'm not trying to say to those people when I've been in meetings where it's been really weird and awkward that that hasn't been there, but at times it does kind of uh, seem like just a big pat on the back. Like, yeah, this is good. Be aware of our white privilege, you know, and things like that. Like, <laughs> and just, which I think is, I mean, honestly do think it's a conversation worth having, but I think to use a lot of, to use those terms, it's like, what are we doing? Are we trying to just like make ourselves feel good for being involved in ministry? Or are we really trying to engage in Christian hope, which is about authentic conversion? Yeah. So that's one. So just again, just overall being like vulnerable. And, and what I have found with teens, and you know, honestly, I'm going to go back. Like what what a lot of them respond to is, is again, that basic charisma message, the proclamation of the gospel. And it's not plug and play. It ultimately has to come from an overflow of your relationship with God. If that isn't in order, there isn't anything that you can do. Like, it's not, like, I mean, God can still work. He'll, he, he will work through anything. But I found that it all has to come from that. And when you, if you're in front of a, if you're in front of a group of teens and they're apathetic, I'll just call it out and be like, doesn't this seem like it's insane and get really basic with it. Like one of the things that I would always do is I would, um, this is going to be hard to do on, on a podcast. So just stop me if this derails. Are you going to tap dance? No, because oh, <laughs> okay. I, I would always take, I would take, I would take uh, a couple of volunteers and I would say, okay, you, you are God. You, you are man. In the beginning, man and God were happy and great. Then man likes sin. And there's this big, gap between man and God. Then God sent his own son that that was Christ and he and he helped and he helped like bridge that gap. And ultimately saying he cares about you but he did it because he loves you individually. He really genuinely gives a crap about your life. And then you just have to do it again and 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 again. 
I mean, that's, and that's the only way, you know, like probably the, the greatest compliment I ever got from two of my, from two of my students was they go, you know, you have really changed my mind on this whole God thing. And in a school, that's kind of the best that you can do because I have them for 45 minutes a day. And I we spend... are going to interview a teacher, a Catholic school teacher that I think is doing everything right. And it's a friend of mine, uh, Christina, and she's a fan of the show or like was at one point. Um, <laughs> Why'd you stop, Christina? Because she's busy. But wow. she is. An, she's awesome. And she's like a she's the one that wrote a, a letter to Pope Benedict and her landlord delivered it to him. Did I tell oh. you that story? Yeah. No, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, but uh, I would, because she can, you know, like you said, uh, that's the most you can hope for in a Catholic school. She has ways of transforming kids' lives and hearts. Um, I also think of one of our buddy, uh, Edward Lugo, his, uh, his religion, his theology professor in high school converted him from Lutheranism, number one, but number two, broke him out of his teenage apathy. Um, and they're really good friends. And, you know, Father Paul works with them and um, Brother Peter Francis, friends of ours um, at the Servants of Christ Jesus. They all work with them in Denver. And these are people who are affecting conversion at a deep level and within the context of Catholic schools. Most Catholic schools don't do that. Most Catholic teachers in the theology department don't do that. We have other friends. You know, we know so many people who youth ministers and teachers and stuff. Because uh, we went to Franciscan, but we have so many friends who are like, like I have one friend who's like two ex nuns who are now living together teach our theology program, and they literally are just they don't believe in anything. And it's like, well, how can you believe in nothing and teach Catholic morality? Well, guess what? You can't, and so they don't. Um, and so they talk about fish and stuff and not Jesus. So uh, looking at that, looking at all that stuff, hitting kids with the basic gospel message when you're in a school environment to actually intellectually challenge them because i feel like there's two things that we do we try to convince the kids that god actually loves them and so many kids don't believe that don't know it or don't trust it and when they do everything changes the other group of kids cannot stand to hear one more time god is love and god loves you and they need something intellectually meaty to sink their teeth into you know, and I feel like often um, for many kids, the retreat is the experience to immerse. We don't immerse them in prayer. We immerse them in goofy stuff. We don't immerse them in like a rigorous understanding. We immerse them in light surfacey stuff. And when we do the God is love stuff, it's not God loves you so you can get rid of everything else and still have God and have everything. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That That personal like if I sacrifice it all for him it really is worth it for me. Like it, it, like it really is worth, like that's when I become most fully myself is when I'm with you because ultimately I'm not the one that matters. It's you, you know, and that's when we have happiness is when we have holiness, you know, and so all that stuff. So for me on a confirmation retreat, I think you nailed it. It's knowing, you know, that cliche where meeting the kids where they're at, but it means saying like every single confirmation retreat I do, I say, I know most of you don't want to be here. I know most of you got in a car and your mom or dad forced you to come here. Or you got in a bus. You don't want to be here. And you know what? That's okay. 
that's totally okay. And if I were you, I would probably feel the exact same way. You're not a bad person for thinking that. I mean, we just took your whole weekend for a thing you're not even sure really exists. Sorry. So, sorry, but that bong resin really wasn't going to help out your GPA either. Was it C minus? No. <laughs> and listen, that girl's not going to call you back. So, and and I think too, um, her number, on, the number she gave you was five five five. Do you not realize yet that that's a fake number? Um, that reminds me of a great story. But it's for you know the time there was, uh, and I, I just really quick, I want to add to a thing that you had talked about earlier was you know this idea of trying to challenge them intellectually. One of the things that I did when I had to teach, I, I hated this at first. I was so pissed off. I had to teach a fifth grade theology class. Well, I didn't have to, but Ugh. they asked me and I kind of knew that someone's got to do it. I'm one of the only ones who can. Son of a bitch. I'm doing this now. And I was like, okay, I've never taught anything this young. I don't know what, you know, I'm like, I know how to teach this grade. Like, I know, I know it all in theory, but I've never had to do it. So here we go. And one of the things that I did with them was I made sure on every, for the most part, every Friday we did um, like the, I think it was the midday prayer for the liturgy of, of the hour. So this is with fifth nice. and sixth graders. Yeah. And at first I think they just liked it because it was kind of cool. It was, it was cool. It was kind of different. We would go into the school's chapel to do it. And then, and then I remember like, and, and they started to kind of enjoy it, but then it does get kind of boring and stuff. But as, but as the school year, went on and they kind of started to go oh this is kind of interesting like uh, the faith and stuff and we were we were in there and and like after we were done one one of the kids goes hey mr carey this was really dark <laughs> and i went well okay like well you know like well, what do you mean by that and he was right like it was like one of those like dark psalms when he's like and my like like my entire like fresh is it is assaulted day and night but where are you god yeah yeah. And we, and you know, so these are like 10 and 11 year olds, 10, I mean, ages 10 to 12. And we dived in, and we talked about like, what does this Psalm mean? Yeah. What do you yeah. think the author is? We're like, well, it's about our own sin, our own laziness, our own, the things we do wrong when we lie. Like, it's hard to like, that's when we're, when we are tempted to do bad things, it feels, and it's hard to see God. I'm like, yeah, that, that does kind of, you know, and so, but again, that also came from like, that was, you know, two to three months of work before we even got to that point. And I think a lot yeah. of times we want that like overnight thing. Yeah. We, we want that again, that the Damascus moment. We want a silver bullet. And it doesn't exist. It, doesn't it does exist. not exist. The only shortcut is realizing early on, there are no shortcuts and just plowing straight through. There are no shortcuts. All shortcuts are dead ends. They look like shortcuts, but they are not. There is no end round to holiness. There is no way other than the way. And bringing kids in touch, encountering Jesus Christ, is the only way to make them love learning about their faith. Just like anything, it needs to have an inward motivation. If it's just external, an external motivator, a grade, a yelling parent to escape from, blah, 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 GPA, whatever it is, that will never be enough to make a Catholic, to make a Christian. It'll never be enough. It'll never be enough to have an external motivation for a retreat. No matter how many fun things you do, this is the, this is the thing that like, really affected me was I can do a lot of fun things and kids will – this is like my number one temptation. Kids will say, that was a great time, but none of them will be converted. But they'll, they'll like 
the stuff they did, even the religious stuff, quote unquote, but none of them will be converted. I think this last theology of the body thing that I did, um, because it was, it was it was just kind of like a weird setup for me personally. I was all over the place, like just for a lot of reasons. But um, I really like I, I said to the kids after that one guy made a comment about someone must have given him some feedback. Uh, I went and <laughs> it was the fat kid in the back. <laughs> it was uh, you mean that homeschool kid? Um, it was this this one moment where uh, I'm talking at the end, and the talk is I mean like I have him engaged, and I'm going, and I said you know. I think looking back on this, you're going to say, like, oh, you know, the two sex talks that Gomer gave were nothing. I mean, like, sexy talks, I should call them. Were nothing compared to the opening two talks. Because of the first night, there's two talks, like a short one and then a longer one. Um, were nothing compared to those. Like, though, the opening talk, the, the long one, was probably the most important. I said, I think you'll think back of that when you're a little bit older. And you'll be like, holy crap, that's what he was talking about. Um because it was about conversion, right? It was about, like, where am I drawing my source from? If it's anything other than God, it will always leave me disappointed. And I don't think we do that on retreats. I think we have testimonies of people who talk about, you know, when you really scrutinize it, they don't talk about repentance and conversion. They talk about how Christ made their lives better. And I think there's such a fear and there's such a danger in that because it's almost like, I'm using God. I'm using you to get clean. I'm using you to do this. I'm using you that. And God will allow that to a point, but I think the devil, like, encourages it even more than God allows it. You know, like, meaning, like, you are going to use God, oh, man. Look at your pride. Rather than surrender, which is what faith is, you are going to use the, the abstraction of God, a loving God, a God who is a cosmic therapeutic deity, He's going to be there. He's going to support you when you need him, and when you don't, you back. You you don't need God, um, and God's not going to be there because he won't. He won't be a nuisance to you. But when you think of like the real God that we kind of wish didn't exist, like the all just, all loving Judge, um, I think that we're because we don't emphasize repentance and conversion, um, we aren't really converting people. We're making them have really great Disneyland experiences, and that's Dude. my that's my great fear. We're all wearing masks. Yeah, and it ultimately comes down to, that, again, that, that question of who do you say that I am? And then how do we respond to that? Yeah. And now, I'm not, I'm not a poo-pooing having uh, fun games, silly icebreakers, events like that. I think those are I important. I am your dorks. Huh? What did you say? I said, I am your dorks. <laughs> There's only so much shaving cream pies I can take to the face. Um, but I uh, – why can't it just be whipped cream? I'll gain the weight. Um <laughs> But I, th- I think that stuff is like, it has a place because it's fun and it's lighthearted. And our faith, kids are afraid of adulthood and they're afraid of like responsibility. And they're afraid of this stuff because it, it seems like all the fun is gone and they don't see the joy of Christianity. We should have joy, but that shouldn't be the point of the retreat. And I've been on retreats where that's the point of the retreat. We do this annual game where, like, everyone just gets covered in poop, like, their own poop. Like, we store it in baggies for months, and we just throw it at them, right? It's this really crazy game, and then it's, like, color in it. And No, you don't have those? Sorry, I was looking at our Facebook page. Whoops! Luke, I just... <laughs> I'm not like you where I could do two things at once. I thought I could, but I couldn't. That's because I'm part woman. Because women are <laughs> better at multitasking. Got out of a JJ. 
Oh, God. You are so broken. Anywho, we've been talking too long. I love you, Luke. Bye. I love you, too. See you, man. Hey, what's your Twitter handle? Uh, you know what? I'm going to promote the Instagram because I don't care about uh Twitter catching underscore foxes on Instagram catching underscore foxes and good old Instagram. Oh man. Now I'm going to have to get Instagram and link up with that account. You've, well, you've got one. I guess I do. Yeah. I've never, I used it like twice. I think I'm going to quit a lot of a social media to be honest with you. Yeah, it really is sucky, but that's for another episode. Hey, why don't we hang up now and then have a whole nother conversation about some of the stuff people are writing. I'd actually would be, I'd be okay with that. You? Yeah. Bye, everyone. We love you. I'm going to hang up. I'm going to hang up on you, too. Let's take a five-minute break. Yep. Bye.